Hey, David, how's it going? Okay. Do you want do you want to maybe explain to people why we're talking over the phone this week? Yeah, we're starting a new segment called Sam and David Talk Over the Phone. The fascinating uh, insight into our communication for everybody who listens. Yeah, it's basically like the regular podcast, except more unedited, probably. And uh, of inferior audio quality. Certainly. I apologize to anyone who has made it to second 42. But you want to tell people where you are right now? Yeah, 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 I will, David. We'll get to it. <laughs> um, I'm in Toronto. And for new listeners in the show, this is notable because you are a public, uh, I think it's safe to say, hater of Toronto? Yeah, no, that's true. That's, you got to accept how the people know you, you know? But you've been there for like I, almost a week now. It's, <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're nearing the week mark. Um, so what do you think? <sighs> it's tough, David. I think, I don't know if this phone call is going to give us enough time for me to really delve into the, the complexities of my feelings these days, but... So, I mean, my partner lives here, so there's all the incredible things that are tied to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. The city, it just feels like, it just feels like Canada, you know? <laughs> Whereas Montreal uh, feels like what? Like Quebec feels like Quebec. And it's, it's, it's a horrible, weird nationalism, but it's kind of like the horrible, weird nationalism that I grew up with. It's just like there's so many maple leaves everywhere. And like the logo of Toronto, the city flag has this like weird maple leaf on the top of it. And the, the Blue Jays have the maple leaf and just like there's maple leaves everywhere, you know? Wait, where are you seeing a Toronto city flag? Um, I don't know. It's around. Huh. Like, like enough that I have had to ask my partner what it is. Oh, weird. So, I mean, clearly you have more important things to do than uh, produce this podcast <laughs> this week. Uh, well, no, I mean, I like we, we wanted to get this episode out because we have a really cool interview, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But um, yeah, I don't know. We thought we'd, uh, we'd, have, uh, we'd talk a little bit about how uh, weird this city is. Have you come around at all on, on Toronto, though? Any, any nice experiences? Well, first of all, I mean, I'm sure half the people who listen to the podcast have been to Toronto, but I think the amazing thing is how cars stop when you cross the street like in montreal they just drive and you have to make sure that you don't get hit so maybe we should segue a bit to the interview that we have in store for everybody this week definitely although i i feel like i couldn't help but throw this in before we before we get to the the important part of this uh podcast um doesn't this feel like uh kamau and kevin on (laughs) washington is the greatest actor of all time period podcast definitely i mean like i'm not making fun of you as much as uh kamau makes fun of kevin avery it's true but i feel like this we are this is a complete uh nod or homage to the art that they make on on their podcast (laughs) um the la new york divide is very similar i think to the uh, montreal toronto wait which is which Oh, I don't know. Well, just in the sense that like it's the two cities where like media making happens. It's the two biggest concentrations of Jewish populations in the country. Um, <laughs> and in Montreal and Toronto both have those same characteristics, right? No, you're, that is a hot take. Um, so, Mr. Zinman, uh, this episode is actually a continuation of the series that we started, right? Yeah, so we decided to do a bit of a series of interviews just profiling leftist Jewish podcasts that are out there or, or that are starting. And uh, this week, we got in touch with the creator of a really exciting new podcast. And that podcast is called Kaddish, which is produced by someone named Ariana Katz, who is a rabbinical student in Philadelphia. And without giving away too much information, the podcast deals generally with death and dying and mourning in Jewish context, but articulated fairly broadly. 
Yeah, and Ariana is a member of the Jewish Voice for Peace Rabbinical Council, and uh, her political work and, and political perspective is definitely informing the way that this podcast is going to talk about the issues that come up in morning. Hope you enjoy. Before we jump into the main part of the conversation, uh, could we just talk a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am going into my fourth year of rabbinical school, and that sort of takes up most of my brain space in Philadelphia at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. And I am starting this podcast called Kaddish, which is a show about death and mourning and the rest of the identities we hold while we do it. I guess... Our show doesn't usually explicitly deal with religious practice. For people who are listening who might not be familiar with the Reconstructionist movement, would it be, or do you think you could give a 30-second to one-minute overview of, of where you see some of the important ideas and kind of practices? Yeah, of course. This is actually, in your first year at RRC, they make you practice your elevator speech, don't you? Um, so the Reconstructionist movement is one of the progressive Jewish movements founded in the U.S. in the 20th century by Mordechai Kaplan. So I would say that our closest cousin is Reform Judaism in the way that we approach modernity and an ability to see what Jewish lives look like now. I think what differs most of all is the ways in which justice work is at the center of it, and Reconstructionist Jews are able to say, okay, what are our surroundings? Reconstructionism has been egalitarian from the very beginning. We invented the bat mitzvah. We've been ordaining queers since the beginning of the 80s and women and try to put political values at the center of of our Jewish lives. Um, There's also a lot of Hebrew, surprisingly. So it's a progressive movement, but there is a lot of work in what is the text that our tradition is grounded in and what are the pieces that we need to hold and what are the pieces we need to reimagine. Well, first of all, that was a very solid elevator pitch. <laughs> and I feel like we invented the bat mitzvah is a very good tagline. I understand you're not necessarily right? looking for an explicit tagline, but uh, it's a good one. No, that is our tagline. There's a, a bunch of PR videos that we have to watch. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> to move a little bit towards your, your, your podcast uh, that I think has already come out once this episode uh, is released next week. Is that true? Yeah, July 18th. 18 being a lucky time to release anything. <laughs> Yeah, so your your podcast uh, or the way that you describe the podcast is podcast about death, mourning, and, and, and the people who do it. Could you talk a little bit about where that came from, what has informed you in putting it together? And I guess maybe like this is too many questions, but what is mm-hmm. the podcast going to look like or sound like yeah. would be a more appropriate adjective? Totally. Um, I'm a member of the Philadelphia Reconstructionist Chaver Kadisha, which is a progressive burial society that prepares the dead for burial. And it's that hands-on work. And it is a task that not many do, and the people who do it really have devoted their lives to it. So this project came out of a necessity for more resources for people who are holding not just a Ashkenazi, American, white, this family, which a lot of people will hold and find resources for and also need resources for, but also for those of us who have identities that are intersecting with our Jewish selves that need 
things that are nuanced for what our lives look like and the other traumas that we carry into mourning. So when you asked about like what what is a podcast about death and dying, how is it potentially relevant? I think coming at Jewish ritual with an understanding that we can make it fit what our lives are now is a deeply political practice. Saying the mourner's prayer at demonstrations and figuring out ways of reinventing ritual to make sense of our lives as we find them now is a project that's very dear to my heart. The the show is gonna gonna be hosted by me. And it'll be a, a storytelling show. So each show will feature a topic told by one person of their own story of grief or of the topic at hand. Um, woven through will be text that I'll teach um, to the topic, experts, and other people who are telling their first-person stories as they intersect. So really inspired by Radiolab, for example, that creates sort of a wall of sound and data um, that really holds the story fully. The show is going to have a lot of Jewish content, but I also really want it to be a place where people who are needing to hear more noise about death and dying because we live in a society that is chock full of death denial, and especially people for whom they're trying to figure out how to mourn someone in their life who is Jewish but they're not, or someone who's not Jewish but they are trying to figure out how to hold all these nuances of what our lives actually look like and what tools might we be able to find within Judaism to do it. So I thought about answering this a lot of vocal fry for comedy because ladies podcasting is a pretty fraught issue I'm learning. Um, and vocal fry. So dropping your voice to, to sound more serious because, you know, deep voices are serious. Could you actually talk a bit about vocal fry? I mean, for those unfamiliar with the phenomenon of people having trouble with particular voices uh, speaking in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, social media picked it up and suddenly we're all thinking about it. But vocal fry is something everyone's voice does when you try to hit a lower note than you can actually reach. So I'll do an example of it. So like talking more like this or ending on a lower note. Um, everyone does it, but women who were using their voices to create media content are accused of doing vocal fry more, partially because if your voice is lower, you sound more masculine, therefore more credible, or because it's a way of critiquing voices that are tagged and categorized as feminine. So women making podcasts is women making content and media and saying my voice has matter and we're putting it out into the world. So shows like Another Round or Two Dope Queens, which are on my like heavy rotation, even when they take breaks, are so important because putting women's voices and centering the voices of women of color that don't sound like the classic male voice that carries the legitimacy of Walter Cronkite. There's a show, Invisibilia, that in the first episode, they say you might not be able to tell our voices apart, but we promise you they're different because they're two feminine voices. So thinking a lot about how to play with where legitimacy comes from and who gets to grapple with text and who gets to tell stories, something people have brought up to me. What I've seen to be true is that we're really afraid our stories will be told wrong, especially our stories of death and dying and mourning. We're worried that there can't be possibly someone who will understand our story or respect our story or hold a container solid enough. So that's what I'm hoping to do with the show is to create a container that can legitimize those stories. And the voice who tells it brings a different charge, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, something I'm interested about, because now I'm practicing podcasting, is I'm curious about all these Jewish podcasts that you're seeing congregate near and around you and that are sort of swimming in. And I'm curious if, like, 
Are you seeing a lot of them grow out of a specific need? Like, why are we doing this? Why are we like young people making podcasts about Jewish stuff? Can I interview the interviewers? 100%. (laughs) The first thing that comes to mind is that the Jewish media has become so monolithic. And it feels like making a podcast allows us to create a little space to put ideas out there that it mm-hmm. feels like are edged out pretty much. Um, even like, I mean, the forward is the only space really in terms of internet text and some audio that they do that maybe creates a little bit of a voice. I mean, in mm-hmm. Canada, for example, there's nothing that talks about a lot of the things that I want to hear being engaged with within the broader constellation of Jewishness. Well, I also think that the infrastructure of support has also narrowed. So to make a Jewish project happen, you are going to find yourself going to the same people, and it's going to be the federations. And the federations are never going to support the kind of projects and the kind of discussions that we want to see happening or that we try to make happen on the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not just us. Like, There's a definite generation gap happening where you have millennials who are generally to the left of the institutional Jewish community and are disconnected from it. And so there's this growing desire to have certain types of Jewish projects, Jewish discussion, and no place to have them. And then you have this really unique moment where through podcasting, you can actually reach people without the need for wealthy backers and without the need for infrastructure like the federations. But I'm more curious, but to be honest, I'm more curious on your perspective. Yeah, I think there's a, I think what you all said is true. I think there's a, a sense that having voice is more possible because of the internet. Like, a lot of this is possible because of the internet. But before that, like, the Bundes were making their own newspapers. So I think there's, like, a pretty long legacy of of Jews creating their own content. And it's encouraging to see that people are actually engaging with what that content is. And we're making it for each other. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It it does feel like in the process of making this show that, on the one hand, we're trying to target – all Jews in North America, but there is a way in which we're bringing in a certain kind of people um, with a certain Mm -hmm. orientation that we probably wouldn't have connected with any other way. And so there's like a, there's a community that's created of some broadly defined leftist Jew in North America that kind of comes together or discusses or listens to these kind of shows, right? Which is really cool. Yeah, and you know, someone gave me the critique once, like, are you just preaching to the choir? And it wasn't about this podcast, but more broadly. Um, And the only answer I have is like, the choir deserves to be preached to, right? Like they're doing a lot of work. They're in the back of the room. No one's really paying attention to them unless they're performing, but they move the service forward. And sometimes the choir deserves to be preached to. Um, And so with the shows that you create and that hopefully the show that I'm creating, um, while it will be accessible to as many people as possible, I think there's, there's an importance in claiming that centering radical Jewish voice is actually okay. It's okay to take up that space because it's not necessarily being taken up in the the mainstream Jewish world. And we can create a Jewish world where we don't have to feel like we're giving up parts of ourselves to fit in. So when we started work on this podcast, it was definitely a learning curve of figuring out how to put out a podcast every two weeks. Uh, So I'm always just really curious what other people's process looks like. What What does it look like for you putting together this podcast so far? Um, we should compare notes also. I'd love to know what your process is more clearly. But um, right now I'm still learning how all my tech works. I have a mobile recorder and hopefully we'll get a stand-up mic soon. And in terms of planning, I'm trying to look at an arc for the whole season. So for about 10 or 11 episodes released monthly. And I wanted to, to really anchor it in 
a development. So I'm going to be naming it through the stages of death and dying. So from hospice through Shiva, that's seven days of really sitting in mourning. And so that's, that's how I'm designing the arc. And then from there, thinking about who are the, the people who have said, I'd really like to share this story or the educators I have a crush on and thinking about what the, the content is that I can hit. In that survey I put out, the, the respondents really identified what are the issues they want to learn about or they need more resources for. And so I anticipate that some people might use this podcast as something they listen to when it comes out, they listen to it on their commute, whatever, and for some people as a resource on specific content. I want to be really respectful of naming what the topics are in each show because I think giving people the right warnings of what content they're going to be accessing is important. And so really keeping them sort of self-contained. And I don't know, I'm trying to get two months out in terms of recordings. So just sort of trying to figure out who my main storytellers are and then build around them and just get that content in. I mean, starting to work on this podcast and bringing to it the political orientation that you have, have you had difficulty finding support and backing for it? So in terms of support, um, I've gotten a really overwhelming amount of call for this work. Um, I put out this survey and like 50 folks responded overnight. I've been really overwhelmed by how much of a desire there is to have a venue to talk about death and dying. In terms of backing, actually, I am really excited that I've been granted a really, really generous grant through RRC and the Auerbach family to do this work. So this podcast is grant funded. So Jewish grants funding radical Jewish podcast. I was wondering if we could just go back to something that you mentioned earlier in our discussion Obviously, the discussion about death and mourning is broader than just the individual acts of someone in your family dying. And you you brought up the question of, of saying Kaddish at demos and kind of incorporating that into forms of Jewish kinds of activism. And the, the mm-hmm. issue that comes to mind or the, the example that comes to mind is, if not now, two or three years ago, during the most recent Israeli invasion into Gaza. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, yeah, could you talk a little bit more of those examples and what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. We have, a, we have a tradition of needing to, to say the names and to say Kaddish, the mourner's prayer for people in a group. And, you know, at the time we're recording this and this summer in the United States, we're seeing the media and the larger world take notice of the extreme violence and murder of black men and people of color in this country. And there's something profound about having a group of people, having a quorum of people take note um, and seeing the larger world. And so I think the, the tools we have are a lot more flexible than we would think based on how some of our Hebrew schools teach what we can do with our Jewish ritual. I can say as a member of the, the JVP Rabbinical Council, the Jewish Voice for Peace Rabbinical Council, the way that we use mourning as a political act is really profound. At the last national members meeting, we had a, a Yisker service, a mourning, a memorial service for the Gaza War. And it included violin and it included chanting from the Book of Lamentations, which has a really particular set of music of trope to it that really breaks your heart right open. And it was a semi-public mourning ritual using the tools that we have within Jewish tradition. And I think the, the public mourning that If Not Now does and that Jewish folks are doing with, you know, Jews for racial and economic justice and just all over, it's really pulling on this idea that even if you don't know what the words of the Kaddish are, when you hear it said somberly by a quorum of 10 people, you know something is being marked. 
when it's so hard to communicate things on a massive scale when you're doing any kind of action or public theater, I think it's good to know that we have we have some really old tools to do that. And it accomplishes, for me, it accomplishes the political work of saying we must say their names, we must say the names of people that deserve to have cottage shed for them, and to do it in a public place, invoking the quorum of not just 10, but of, you know, maybe 300 people that are there in the streets with you. That only brings greater dignity to the people who who are remembering. So if people want to follow or get more information about the podcast, is there a website or a Twitter account that they can follow? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Kaddish, K-A-D-D-I-S-H, the podcast. And we'll have a website up soon, which will be Kaddish, the podcast. But we launch July 18, and you'll be able to find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Oh, and we're on Facebook, but there's no URL for that. Just look it up. Again, the show will be coming out a few days after your first episode is launched, so we would advise people to go listen. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, thanks so much. It was so good to talk to you.